Hello, and welcome to the History of the Church of Jesus Christ. Episode 27, An Angel from on High Fourteen-year-old Joseph Smith, Jr. found himself lying on his back in a forest not far from his home. He had just experienced a vision of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Like Moses, he felt that the vision had sapped his energy away. Once he had the strength to get up, he returned home. He would later remark how his heart was filled with love for many days following the vision. But today he would stumble into the kitchen, his mother, Lucy, alarmed by how weak and tired he looked. She asked him if he was okay. He said, quote, Never mind, all is well. I am well off enough. And, and then he added, I learned for myself that Presbyterianism is not true. End quote. It is unclear if he then revealed to his mother everything that happened. Eventually, he did tell his family of the glorious vision he had seen in the grove. His brother William affirmed, quote, We all had the most implicit confidence in what he said. He was a truthful boy. Father and mother believed him. Why should not the children? End quote. Joseph's question of which church to join was answered by the first vision, but few, few that heard of the vision believed it had actually occurred. Joseph said in his history, quote, I soon found, however, that my telling the story had excited a great deal of prejudice against me among the professors of religion and was the cause of great persecution, which continued to increase. End quote. William, in his testimony, published in 1898-4, said, quote, We never knew we were bad folks until Joseph told his vision. We were considered respectable till then, but at once people began to circulate falsehoods and stories in a wonderful way, end quote. One of the first outside the family to hear Joseph's account of what happened to him was, quote, one of the Methodist preachers who was very active in the before-mentioned religious excitement, End quote. Joseph naively believed that the minister would welcome this great news from heaven. Joseph wrote, however, quote, I was greatly surprised at his behavior. He treated my communication not only lightly, but with great contempt, saying it was all the devil, that there were no such things as visions or revelations in these days, that all such things had ceased with the apostles, and that there would never be any more of them. End quote. Saints, the 2018 Church History book, describes the passage of time between 1820 and 1823 as follows. Quote, three years passed and three harvests. Joseph spent most days clearing land, turning soil, and working hard as a hired hand to raise money for the yearly cash payment on the family's property. The work made it impossible for him to attend school very often, and he spent most of his free time with family or other laborers. End quote. The book also provides a good introduction to Joseph's use of seer stones. Quote, like many people in this area, including his father, Joseph believed that God could reveal knowledge through objects like rods and stones, as he had done with Moses, Aaron, and others in the Bible. One day, while Joseph was helping a neighbor dig a well, he came across a small stone buried deep in the earth. Aware that people sometimes use special stones to search for lost objects or hidden treasure, Joseph wondered if he had found such a stone. Looking into it, he saw things invisible to the natural eye. 
Joseph's gift for using the stone impressed family members, who saw it as a sign of divine favor. But even though he had the gift of a seer, Joseph was still unsure if God was pleased with him. He could no longer feel the forgiveness and peace he had felt after his vision of the Father and the Son. Instead, he often felt condemned for his weakness and perfections. End quote. We will revisit seer stones and treasure seeking more in the next episode. Joseph no doubt wished he could have he could have another vision. If anything, if anything, so that he could feel the love of God that surrounded him during the days which followed the first vision. He may have asked for some kind of confirmation of the truths he had learned, or maybe he sought a continuation of the visions. Perhaps he gave up on a second vision by 1823. We cannot know much about the mindset of the 17-year-old Joseph Smith, except that he said he felt sorrows for the follies of his youth. In 1822, Joseph began helping his older brother Alvin build a new frame house for the family. By September of 1823, it was two stories high, but without a roof. The family continued to live in their small log home. Archaeological investigations in the summer of 1982 verified the location of the log house, as stated in an 1820 street survey. Although the shallow foundation had been destroyed by, pl- by field plows over the years, archaeologists found three areas below the plow zone, including a well and a shallow cellar that yielded numerous artifacts from the period. It was in this log cabin, late on in the evening of Sunday, 21st of September, 1823, that the 17-year-old Joseph retired for the night. Concerned about his standing before the Lord, he earnestly prayed for forgiveness of his sins. Something within him made him confident that this was the night he would have another vision. As Joseph prayed, a light appeared beside his bed and grew brighter until it filled the entire loft. Joseph looked up and saw an angel standing in the air. The angel wore a seamless white robe that came down to his wrists and ankles. Light radiated from him, and his face shone like lightning. The appearance of the angel was the first of Joseph Smith's visionary experiences to appear in historical sources. An 1830 revelation declared that an angel with a, with a quote, countenance as lightning, end quote, appeared to Joseph and gave him power that he should translate a book. Joseph's 1832 history recounts that the Lord, quote, shewed unto me a heavenly vision, for behold, an angel of the Lord came and stood before me, end quote. These and other early accounts referred to this messenger simply as the angel. In 1835, Joseph identified the angel as the Book of Mormon figure, Moroni, in a revelation published by the doc- in the Doctrine and Covenants. His clearest statement on the angel's identity appeared in an 1842 letter to the saints, Quote, and again, what do we hear? Glad tidings from Cumorah, Moroni, an angel from heaven, declaring the fulfillment of the prophets, the book to be revealed. End quote. Churchofjesuschrist.org, the official website for the church, contains the following explanation of the angel's identity. Quote, These accounts left no ambiguity as to the identity of the angel, but one key document complicated the picture. The earliest manuscript of the canonized account of Moroni's visits, Joseph Smith History 1, 30-53, refers to the angel as Nephi. This reference likely originated with Joseph Smith's clerk, James Mulholland, who began in 1839 to combine various manuscripts of Joseph Smith's history into a single narrative. Evidence suggests that Mulholland did not take the dictation, did not take dictation from Joseph Smith or rather works from sources available to him that had not survived. 
Mulholland could easily have been confused by the identity of the angel, since many of Joseph's earlier accounts before his draft did not mention the angel's name. Early published versions of Joseph's history, as well as other accounts that mention an angel Nephi, all relied on this draft. As a result, both Nephi and Moroni appeared in publications during the 1840s and 1860s. Brigham Young suspected the history contained a clerical error and assigned church historians to research the issue. Reviewing Joseph Smith's other accounts of the angel, they concluded that the name Nephi should be replaced with Moroni and wrote a correction on the Mulholland manuscript itself. No evidence indicates that Joseph Smith ever called the angel Nephi. End quote. The following is Joseph, Joseph's written account of what happened after the angel made his first appearance. Quote, when I looked upon him, I was afraid, but the fear soon left me. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me, and that his name was Moroni, that God had a work for me to do, and that my name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be for both good and evil spoken of among all people. He said there was a book deposited, written upon gold plates, giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, and the source from which they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it, as delivered by the Savior to, its, to the ancient inhabitants. Also, that there were two stones and silver bows, and these stones, fastened to a breastplate, constituted what is called the Urimanthum, deposited with the plates. And the possession of and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times, and that God had prepared them for the purpose of translating the book. End quote. Moroni appeared three times that night. These visitations were referred to by Joseph as interviews. During the first interview, Joseph saw and visioned the location of the plates. They were buried in a hillside about three miles from his home. Moroni quoted prophecies from the biblical books of Isaiah, Joel, Malachi, and Acts. The Lord was coming, he explained, and the human family would not fulfill the purpose of their creation until God's ancient covenant was renewed first. Moroni said that God had chosen Joseph to renew the covenant, and that if he chose to be faithful to God's commands, he would be the one to reveal the record on the plates. In the second visit, Joseph was told of judgments which are coming upon the earth. At the end of the third visit, Moroni warned Joseph that Satan would try to tempt him to get the plates for their temporal value because of his family's poverty. Moroni directed 17-year-old Joseph that he was to have only one purpose for obtaining the plates, and that was to glorify God. Only one motive should influence him, and that was to build God's kingdom. Now, Joseph, beware, he said. When you, have gone, when you go to get the plates, your mind must be full, must, will be filled with darkness, and all manner of evil will rush into your mind to prevent you from keeping the commandments of God. Directing Joseph to someone who would support him, Moroni urged him to tell his father about his visions. Joseph's interviews with Moroni occupied most of the night, for at the end of the third, at the third visit, he heard a rooster crow. Morning had come, and he had spent the whole night wide awake, speaking with the angel Moroni. Joseph got up with his brothers to start the day's work, but Joseph was not only exhausted from experiencing an all-night vision, but he didn't get any sleep. Alvin noticed his little brother wasn't working as fast as and stopped often. He reminded his brother that they needed to keep working or else they couldn't finish everything. Later, Joseph Smith Sr. 
noticed his son was becoming sickly and weak from lack of sleep. He told Joseph Jr. to go home and get some rest. Joseph complied. As he was crossing a fence on his way home, Joseph collapsed, and Moroni, the same angel as before, appeared and told him to return to his father and tell him about the nighttime visions. Joseph Sr. did, after all, believe in visions. Joseph Sr. wept when his son told him about the angel and his message. Quote, it was a vision from God, he said. Attend to it, end quote. Saints describes what Joseph did next. Quote, Joseph thought about the plates as he walked. Even though he knew they were sacred, it was hard for him to resist wondering how much they were worth. He had heard tales of hidden treasures protected by guardian spirits, but Moroni and the plates he, descri he described were different from these stories. Moroni was a heavenly messenger appointed by God to deliver the record safely to his chosen seer, and the plates were valuable not because they were gold, but because they witnessed of Jesus Christ. Still, Joseph could not help thinking that he knew that now he knew exactly where to find enough treasure to free his family from poverty. Arriving at the hill, Joseph located the place he had seen in the vision and began digging at the base of the rock until its edges were clear. He then found a large tree branch and used it as a lever to raise the stone and heave it aside. Beneath the boulder was a box, its walls and base made of stone. Looking inside, Joseph saw the gold plates, seer stones, and breastplate. The plates were covered with ancient writing and bound together on one side by three rings. Each plate was about six inches wide, eight inches long, and thin. The portion, a portion of the plates also appeared to be sealed so no one could read it. Astonished, Joseph wondered again how much the plates were worth. He reached for he reached for them, and felt a shock pulse through him. He jerked his hand back, but then reached for the plates twice more, and was shocked each time. Why can I why can I not obtain this book? he cried out. Because you have not kept the commandments of the Lord, said a voice nearby. Joseph turned and saw Moroni. At once the message from the night before flooded his mind and he understood that he had forgotten the record's true purpose. He started to pray, and his mind and soul awoke to the Holy Spirit. Look, Moroni commanded. Another vision unfolded before Joseph, and he saw Satan surrounded by his numerous, numberless host. This is shown, the good and the evil, the holy and the impure, the glory of God and the power of darkness, the angel declared, that ye may know hereafter the two powers and never be influenced or overcome by that wicked one. End quote. He instructed Joseph to purify his heart and strengthen his mind to receive the record. If, these, if ever these sacred things are obtained, they must be by prayer and faithfulness in obeying the Lord, Moroni explained. They are not deposited here for the sake of accumulating gain and wealth for the glory of this world. They were sealed by the, by the prayer of faith. Joseph asked when he could have the plates. The 22nd day of September next, Moroni said, if you bring the right person with you. When Joseph asked Moroni who that person should be, the angel revealed it to be Alvin, Joseph's oldest brother. After hearing this, Joseph turned around and started his way back home. Moroni has a special place in the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ. He was the last to write in the gold plates that contained the Book of Mormon and he was the last known prophet in the ancient church of Jesus Christ, having died sometime after A.D. 421. It was probably for this reason that he was chosen by God to guide and even act as a sort of angelic mentor 
to the teenager who would become the next prophet. Though Joseph was an imperfect person with all the follies of youth, he was well on his way to becoming the first prophet of modern times, the times that would be called the last dispensation. Moroni is seen as one of as the one who passed the torch to Joseph Smith. Thus he is highly regarded. The book of Revelation, chapter 14, reads, quote, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven, and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of water. End quote. Moroni's appearance came to symbolize the restoration, and, the, and statues of the angel Moroni now grace the spires of, the, of most Latter-day Saint temples. These statues had their precedent in 1892, when more than 50,000 saints gathered to witness the laying of the capstone on the Salt Lake Temple. During the ceremony, President Wilfred Woodruff activated an electrical switch, and a machine lowered the granite capstone into place. Later that day, workers installed a gold-leafed copper statue of an angel on the tallest spire. Though some identified the angel as Gabriel and others as the angel flying in the midst of heaven, referenced in Re- Revelation 14.6, almost all Latter-day Saints since the capstone ceremony have identified the statue as the angel Moroni. The appearance of Moroni, like the first vision, is celebrated in music and art, I'm especially fond of one hymn in particular, whose text was written by Parley P. Pratt, a prominent figure in the early history of the church. It is called An Angel from on High. And with that, we will end today's episode, as Joseph made his way home from the hill later called Cumorah, after a Book of Mormon location. The hymn reads, An angel from on high, the long, long silence broke, descending from the sky, these gracious words he spoke, Lo, in Camorra's lonely hill, a sacred record lies concealed. Sealed by Moroni's hand, it has for ages lain, to wait the Lord's command, from dust to speak again. It shall again to light come forth, to usher in Christ's reign on earth. It speaks of Joseph's seed, and makes the remnant known, of nations long since dead, who once had dwelt alone. The fullness of the gospel, too, its pages will reveal to view. The time is now fulfilled, the long-expected day. Let earth obedience yield, and darkness flee away. Remove the seals, be wide unfurled, its light and glory to the world. Lo, Israel filled with joy, shall now be gathered home, their wealth and means employ to build Jerusalem, while Zion shall arise and shine, and fill the earth with truth divine. Thanks for listening. This has been the history of the Church of Jesus Christ.